This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to our radio. we we'll explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today, an online resource for all topics related to body-oriented psychology. Today's guest is Hans Schulstad, who is a sports performance coach and licensed therapist. His work focuses on learning how to love your inner athlete. He has used his experiences providing sports psychology tools to athletes for over 20 years to give athletes steps that they can take to improve their performance. As owner of the Center for Sports and the Mind, he has provided sports psychology tools to athletes at every level. He has worked with amateur, collegiate, and many levels of professional sports. Hans has integrated skills and concepts from traditional sports psychology, as well as EMDR, neurofeedback, heart rate variability, training, and systemic concepts from counseling and marriage and family therapy models. He has developed the mental strength training cards that provide important knowledge, tips for effective self-talk, and daily drills to develop and strengthen the relationship between the mind and the body. How you doing, Hans? I'm doing great today. I, I got to say, I love, and we'll get into this later, I love your cards. Thank those you. Are fantastic. So I kind of, we'll get into it in a, in a little while, but okay. those are, those are fantastic. I want to make sure anyone who's listening to this, go check out your cards. Yeah. Uh, but before we kind of get into your actual work that you presently do, yeah. um, talk, talk to me a little bit about how you got into sports psychology, generally speaking, but also I'm very interested in how you've brought these various tools in psychology and coaching together into your work. Well, so the way I got uh, involved in sports psychology, you know, back um, back in the 90s, I used to do in-home family therapy uh, with juvenile delinquents and their families, people involved in the child protection system. Oh, wow. And, and every, um, a lot of the referring workers often sent me uh, athletes uh, because I connected so well with them. And as I worked with them, they kept telling me that, um, you know, not only was their life getting better and they were, their relationships were getting better, but their performance was getting better. So, um, I, I really always kind of had a knack for that. Uh, athletics was a part of my life. Uh, I didn't play sports a long time, but I played enough to get a sense of what it was like and, um, and its importance and how it can shape, uh, people's lives. And after all, it is probably one of the religions in America yep. is sports. Right. And, um, so I, uh, I, you know, it started to evolve and actually I often tell this story when I uh, do presentations and as usual, uh, my wife provided some uh, great insight, uh, for me one day when, uh, we went to watch my niece play uh, in a fifth grade girls basketball tournament. And now Cassidy is like uh, 25, 26 now and is a genetic counselor, went to grad school. But anyway, the story goes, they were playing in the friendship game the last day and they were playing this team that was probably a year older than them. And um, they were just getting destroyed. And, um, about two minutes left in the first half, I could see the coach from the other team um, over at the scorer's table. He was mad, animated, really acting kind of out of control. And I couldn't figure out why, because his team was up like 32 to two. And um, what he wanted and what we figured out is after he left, they changed the score to 34 to two. So that, 
that really got under my skin and got me upset. And, you know, the game wore on and as if, as if that wasn't enough, when there was two minutes left in the game, he put all of his starters back in and you could hear during the timeout that he wanted his team to break 60. And when they broke 60, he uh, celebrated like they had just won a big overtime game and game was over. The buzzer went off and I feel this pinch on my arm and my wife says, don't do it. And I said, what was I going to do? She says, I know what you were going to do. You want to go give him a piece of your mind. And I said, yeah, I kind of do. And she said, you know, that's not going to go well. You're not going to be able to influence him. And if this makes you so angry and you've seen that, and we've seen this happen so many different times, all of our nieces and nephews have, you know, different versions of this same kind of story. And and my son does as well. Um, She said, you know, you really need to get intentional about this. So I decided to start the center for sports in the mind. And that was like, it's, it's, that was my dream. And uh, I just wanted to make an impact because I kept seeing these things happen and I still continue to see it happen, you know, uh, even just this last winter in my son's sports. And, um, and then the kind of next level of it was, I'm not sure if, do you know what the Hobie Baker award is? I don't know. Say more. The Hobie Baker Award is the award for the best uh, 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 U.S. men's hockey college hockey player in the United States. And part of its criteria is that um, is your character on and off the ice. So things like community service and uh, scholastic achievement and things like that are factored into the voting process, not just the numbers you put up. Well, I was on that committee, uh, and I've been on that committee since about 07, and one of the guys on that committee was a coach at a local high school that was was a really good hockey program, and he really wanted to win a state championship, and through the course of us talking and me telling me, me, him, me, he and I talking about what I did and, you know, just having some conversations about individual players he hired me uh, the next two years and they went on to win the Minnesota state championships. And, and that was that, that's when I really got some momentum and um, just kept learning about it and spending time. And I basically have become um, what I would call a, a performance junkie. Nice. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. So you, one of the, when I described your work, one of the things I talked about is you, integrating marriage and family therapists or systemic familial approaches to your work. So maybe we could start there because an entry point into your work, since I imagine mostly you work with teens, although I also have to imagine you also work with individual athletes, but let's just. Yeah. I I work more with individual athletes than I do teams. Okay. Um, The, I mean, the teamwork is really challenging in the sense that it's really hard to schedule and get it integrated. And I've also, I also feel like I can have more of a, impact on the world uh when i meet with individual teams or individual people okay um and, and because one of my strengths is the relationships that i build with people nice well let's we can start there as an entry point when you're okay. working with an individual athlete who's part of a team mm-hmm. how what do you do to get them to start thinking not just in terms of their own capacity building and skill set and mindset which we'll get into but that they're also part of a team and the team is 
you know, there, there's no I in team, as they like to say. Well, what we talk about is like, how, how are you going to raise your performance and make your performance more consistent so that you are not reacting to the circumstances and that you're in control of your own attitude and effort? Okay. And that no matter what else is going on around you and no matter else what your teammates or your coaches are doing, you have to figure out a way that you're going to, that you can answer at the end of the day, the question, um, you can answer yes to the question, am I being who I want to be? And, and so that includes things like, how do you, how do you handle your teammates? How do you handle your coaches? What are your relationships on and off the court, on and off the ice all about? And so what we do is we teach, um, you know, we also talk about how um, if you make a change and you influence your teammate, um, that you can make these little dial changes to your performance. And if everybody can do that, then that will collectively have a larger impact on your team's performance. So, okay. we're, you know, yeah. So two things I hear. One is you're, you're modeling to your teammates. Another thing I yeah. hear, the way you just said, actually what you said at the very beginning is character counts. The way you yes. treat and relate to other people, whether it's your coach or your fellow teammates. Yes. Let's uh, stick with arousal control, or, or maybe we'll call it self-mastery. Yep. What, how do you work with athletes to help them manage their psychophysiology, as an example? Well, so throughout the course of doing this, I have found, and you know, um, you know, I, I use the word stress with athletes. Um, you know, in clinical psychological terms, we'd talk about trauma, and trauma, you know, is relative. Uh, the story I often tell is when I was doing in home, I went out the back door for this to get a release of information for this mom to sign. And there were two 12 year olds in the backyard smoking pot and drinking beer. And I came back in and I told her about it. And she said, Oh, Hans, that's fine. I know they go back there to hide from the police. And so I, I thought about my own safety in that moment. And I said, well, what do you like? what's your plan if you're hiding people from the police, like if your house gets raided? And she said, oh, Hans, settle down, relax. If that happens, I have a gun, I'll protect us both. So what I often talk about is that that's for me, when she said that, I was like, oh my God, that's a, like, like what, right? So if you think about stress or trauma on a scale of zero to a hundred, you know, for me, that was a 99. Clearly for her, was somewhere 30 or below. And so um, what a lot of the athletes uh, I work with don't realize, and many of them come, don't come from a background like that, that trauma and stress is relative. So first thing I do is I educate them and I put the language and the concepts that are related to eye movement desensitization, reprocessing and trauma kind of explain the role of the amygdala and it keeping you safe and how when past events or when past events get triggered by current events that you have to have a plan and steps, first of all, to like reboot your brain and reboot your physiology, calm yourself down, interrupt the habit loop that gets in the way. And then we also start to explore experiences they've had with family members, teammates, coaches, um, teachers, other people in their life 
that may be um, that they may be responding to in the moment and that they're not aware of as affecting their performance. So many times I use EMDR with those people um, and to help them reprocess some of those things. Um, and sometimes what's happened is it's, you know, one of the things I've done a lot of, and this is one of the ways that I integrate my clinical background is I've worked with a lot of teams where there's been something like that's truly bad that happens. Like not that they lose a game. Like I've worked with teams where there's been a suicide of a team member or uh, a spinal cord injury or a coach died or uh, a player died on the ice. I've had a couple of situations like that. And so I educate them about how that, how they may have been traumatized by that, but also like um, the grief loop that takes place and, you know, and that it's okay to care about your sport, even though it feels like it's not important after an experience like that. And then the other thing that I like to do with everybody is uh, uh, heart rate variability training. Either, you know, there are various devices that you can use that measure that. And I really find that the athletes really respond to that because they like stats and measurable things. And so like, that's another thing that I ask them to integrate a lot of, at first there's sometimes resistance to that because they think, well, I just did that once and I don't feel better and I didn't play any better. And so what we kind of have to talk about is it's a cumulative effect. If you do that 365 days in a row, I guarantee you that you will have a clear mind. You'll be able to shift your mood a lot quicker and recognize how to shift out of bad attitudes, uh, negative feeling states, negative body states, just by using your breathing and, you know, shifting your emotions. Let's, uh, let's stop there for a second, because for a listening or viewing audience, you might not be familiar with heart rate variability and how you use it to both be aware of internal states and then, as you're just talking about, managing them and shifting them. He gives like the 30-second commercial on, on how you'd explain it to a, an athlete and how they might be using it. Well, so what we talk about is you want to get your brain and your heart in coherence. You want them to work in synchronicity. And what heart rate variability training does is it measures how, can, how well you're able to keep your heart rate consistent and coherent. And you do that through getting into a slow, comfortable rhythm, uh, breathing through the area of your chest or your heart, and then um, you shift your mood. And you think about something that you appreciate or care about, something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy or, as, uh, or your happy place, so to speak. Uh, and is this based on the heart math folks, their technology? Yes. Okay. yes. I've also used uh, Muse as well. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Nice. Uh, of those two different devices, which one do you, do you find one works for a be better subset of your clients than others? Uh, the heart rate variability training works better because I think that, um, like, I've found that my clients are more comfortable um, using the heart rate, uh, the inner balance thing, because it's corded. It can look like you're, uh, doing something on earphones. Yeah. Right. Whereas Muse is a little more obvious and you might have to answer more questions among teammates if you use it in a public place. Right so on. I've just found, and it's, uh, I, I also feel like, um, it's simpler to explain than the Muse. There's, there's too much, like, 
there's too much stuff for the muse for them to understand. Okay. For the heart rate variability, when you use the, the um, heart math devices and explain it to folks, <clears throat> do you notice uh, not only are they able to shift a state uh, you know, uh, psychophysiologically from you know, negative to positive, but do you, do you notice effects in terms of their relationships also as they begin? To yeah, a lot of them talk about how they don't get nearly as stressed or worked up about things. Yeah. And they don't get nearly as uh, overwhelmed and that they're more aware of when they are getting stressed. Nice. The other thing that I've found is, you know, it's, a, it's similar to um, uh, meditation practice is that they like the other thing that I encourage them to do is if they dip into low coherence, like pay attention to what did, or if you have low scores, like what, what might, what, what's gone on in the last 24 hours that might be affecting that process. So I ask them to pay attention um, and witness what their own process is. And oftentimes what I find is, especially when I do it the first time, um, because, you know, most of those clients are highly motivated and sometimes perfectionistic when they can't do it. You can, you can literally see them when they're in my office or even on the video, um, you can literally see them starting to tr like try too hard. And that's a, that's a training that if you try too hard, you're going to get, you're not going to get the results that you want. Right on. So almost immediately in the moment, they learn to, to uh, turn themselves down and relax into the, into the conversation, into the moment. Yeah, and sometimes they'll check in with them about what their self-talk is when that's happening. Uh, right. And I do want to get there because that's you know, part of yeah. your heart. One of the things you talk about is self-talk amongst, yeah. like, is there 50 things, if I remember correctly? It's, it's 20. Well, there's what well, we, uh, we, we've published half of them, but yes, there are 52 ultimately. 52. So we'll, we'll get into a few of those, but let me, let me ask a little bit more about the heart math stuff. When your clients start to think about the factors or the variables in their lives that might contribute to a lack of coherence uh -huh. over the last 24 hours, do they, do they think about like diet, nutrition, stress, relationships, training over in this case maybe overtraining yeah. like what, yeah, what kind well, of variables pop up for them that they start going oh wait there's a connection between uh yeah in my life lack of sleep injuries okay. uh boyfriend or girlfriend problems mm -hmm. family relationship stuff uh one of the things i uh often many of them do is uh we ha we have a journal that they use to track like whether or not they're hitting their daily habits. And right. so they can go back and look at the daily habits and the emotions they've experienced and maybe find some clues. But I mean, and I think, well, and some of them actually have identified watching the news. Wow. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but yeah. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine that's actually intentional, but that's for a longer conversation about television and, Social yes. media and things like that. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, before we get into your the fifty two, or you, I think you said you released half of them, uh, the cards. Um, you know, one one of the things I think about the heart is as a transpersonal organ. If, if you're if you're healthy, it allows you to connect. Not it's not less, it's not about yourself. It's about connecting to something larger than yourself, other human beings, other mm -hmm. sentient beings. You know, however wide mm -hmm. and big your inclusiveness goes. 
And I'm curious just to kind of step back into once your clients start getting the coherence between their heart, uh, the brain and the heart and the brain in their head, um, and, and you, do they notice their relationships improve? Like their relationship with their girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, spouse, family members. Because I have to imagine that not only being aware of how those things, those people can trigger them to be reactive, but once they start managing themselves, I have to imagine they start showing up differently or possibly showing up differently in those same relationships. Yeah, I would say that what I've seen with that, and I mean, I would say that this is kind of a, with that and in general, who pe when people become, you know, I feel like heart rate variability training makes you just more self-aware. Okay. And so what I see is, yes, that happens and they're less reactive. They're more emotionally flexible, which, you know, if you're that way, when people show up in your life that are not, you can respond to that better. Right. The other thing though, that sometimes happens is they, uh, what I have seen from time to time is, oh, like this kind of deal, like, well, I guess this isn't, this isn't all about me. So uh, then they start thinking about, well, so, you know, it, if they're in a relationship where it's, uh, where they might need to make a change, where they might need to set better emotional boundaries with that person and push back a little bit, they do so. That's and, fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, how that goes with them is dependent upon the people that they're interacting with. And sometimes what happens is, um, they continue to act in ways that aren't helpful or hurtful and they change their relationship or the level of the relationship with those people or they leave it or it improves. Right. So you talked about EMDR, you talked about heart rate variability, mm -hmm. it's the Muse device. One of the other things when I introduced you was uh, neurofeedback. Are, are there typical, are there specific devices you use for neurofeedback and what kind of effects do you find with your clients? Well, with neurofeedback, what, what we have is uh, a Nexus 10. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, and we can do four channel, two channel Z-score training, uh, you know, alpha, theta, SMR. I find the SMR works the best because it's, um, it's the easiest for the client to understand because you can, you can parse it out between at least the way that our program is set up is this bar shows that you're focusing, this shows you're drifting, this shows you're tense. And what I see is um, they have quicker reaction times. Um, and, and the other thing with that, and the other thing that I notice with that is they're also, um, this might sound kind of a little too woo woo, but when they show up in the office, their aura is better. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the, you, you can just kind of sense that they're not nearly as tense yep. and that um, they've kind of toned themselves down. They have better control over their brain. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I wouldn't call that too woo woo, but I mean, some might, but I, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Uh, back to the neurofeedback. You said one of the things you can test for is focus. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it just got me thinking, what, what kind of sports, what kind of athletes and what kind of sports are mostly attracted to working with you? Well, um, I, you know what? There, that's a great question. I, I've spent time thinking about that. Uh, 
first of all, they're most of the time they really have um, uh, a thoughtful approach to life. Um, they're really motivated to do to do well. Um, and so and, and they really want to get the most out of themselves. Um, and so they're, they're, they're typically athletes who also have enough, um, what I would say, I guess, courage yeah. and strength to be able to say, Hey, like coming and talking to this guy is just going to make me better. And they kind of, they're, they're willing to, um, not pay attention to the stigma that goes with it. Good, good. Excellent. Okay. If, if we're talking specific sports, you know, um, my passion is lies in ice hockey. And so I have a lot of hockey players that come to see me and being in Minnesota, like it is, it's, uh, we're called the state of hockey for a reason. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of people that come to see me. Nice. Um, in terms of the clients who come in really motivated, recognizing they want to change, even if mm -hmm. it's just small amounts of performance improvements, because they're already elite athletes to some extent. Uh, I'm wondering um, how many sessions, like, is there, do you have like a, oh, I work with this type of athlete for 10 sessions and this is what I do. I mean, do you have a formulaic work with people or is it individualized depending on who shows up at your door? How does that work? It's, it's individualized in general, but like, you know, and the other kind of part of our practice is, um, you know, sometimes what happens is these people show up and they have undiagnosed, you know, mental health issues that they need help with. Okay. Okay. And that's also another way that I feel like that's another strength for me because I, I feel like with my experience of doing in-home and having a larger clinical experience, like, and, and I also think that's where my systemic background comes in where I am able to kind of say, and, and, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years. So I have a pretty good sense uh, after just a couple of minutes or, or an hour of kind of what I'm looking at. I know the right questions to ask. I know the right things to look for. And, and I kind of can connect the docs, dots way faster than I used to. And, um, but what I, you know, in general, um, let's say a straight up performance enhancement package is about nine sessions and okay. it's focused on mindset, emotions, self-talk. We might throw some EMDR stuff in there, some resourcing. Uh, we might reprocess a few things. Um, and uh, we, you know, we do heart rate variability training and some goal setting and um, we also, the other thing that I've spent a lot of time talking with these athletes about is the concept of cognitive fusion. Say more about cognitive fusion. Uh, well, cognitive fusion is a mindfulness term. And basically what it kind of refers to is that a lot of times what happens in our culture, people's thoughts um, get more and more maybe self-defeating or uh, their emotions influence their view of reality what they think and they get stuck together and they basically convince themselves what they're thinking is actually true and so what what i try to teach them is cognitive diffusion and that's like taking a step back and witnessing like what's going on and not being reactive just respond okay and so that that we talk about that a lot so walk me through because i know 
you're obviously somatically oriented because you work through the body with a lot of these techn yeah. technologies and stuff. Walk me through other ways that you include the body in your practices, including respiration, obviously, for arousal management control. Uh, well, one of the things that uh, I teach people to do is um, what I call reboot their brain. Okay. So uh, I, use, I borrow from concepts from like TFT, like the, the tapping, um, you know, and tapping on the certain points underneath the eye, between the pinky and the, and the wrist. Uh, and so we might implement that as something to help them to calm their body. And there's, I, I'm sure you're familiar with that, where you go through all these different protocols and it, your, hopefully your level of reactivity diminishes. The other thing that I'll do is um, some bilateral techniques that go with, um, um, that are related to EMDR, like moving your eyes back and forth, looking near to far, uh, doing fist squeezes or pushing on the palms of your hand. Um, I sometimes have people count down from 1,000 or 200 by sevens. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Like that, that gets them, that gets them focused on something else. Um, sometimes I focus on um, having them just smile, think about something that makes them happy. Uh, we do some visualization techniques, centering breasts. Um, as you saw on the cards, I've, uh, I also, you know, varying con breathing concepts and types of breathing you know, uh, the box breathing, um, yeah. other, other things like that. What led you to make the cards? Well, um, I had gotten, uh, I had started to notice that, um, one of the things that athletes were requesting from me was, and parents in particular is, what can we do on a daily basis at home on our own? Um, you know, insight can only go so far. And um, I also like part of the reason that I did it is, um, you know, I'm involved with my son's hockey association. Uh, I, uh, I'm the hockey development coordinator. And, you know, part of it was um, parents would come up to me at the rink and say, Hey, I have this question about this or that concept. And what I thought is, okay, I can write this up. These cards are small enough that someone can throw it in a bag, taken on a road trip. And what I tried to do when I wrote them was to give them concepts and ideas based on things that I had seen over time, ways of thinking, you know, things like evaluations or tryouts. That's a big thing where people have a hard time, particularly young people managing that, you know, the, the arousal or the anxiety that goes with that. So that, that's why I did it because I wanted them to have a portable way to look at that stuff. And as I explained, like, you don't have, you can, they're set up so that you can read through them in order. Yeah. Um, but um, they're also set up so they're all a cart. So, like, I worked with um, a football team last year in Wisconsin, and what they would do is every week they would the, – the coaching staff or the kids 
or the captains would select a card that they were going to focus on for the week. Nice. And that was a way to kind of integrate and like keep all, like I had, I had met with them for a whole day workshop in August. And um, this was a way to keep the, the momentum of what we had talked about integrated into the daily practice of the organization and the system. Just for our viewing and listening audience, <clears throat> who I encourage you to go buy your cards, here's just a few of the topics that you cover. And I, I do want you to ask you about one of them. You talk about power of self-talk, default performance zone, stress is your friend, key knowledge, fear versus danger, high hope, superstitions, and self-scouting, among many, many others. Well, can you talk a little bit about self-scouting? Well, self-scouting, the way that I look at it is it's a thing that um, many times, um, in and of itself, self-scouting is an intervention because what they do is they go through and they assess themselves on various skills like managing emotion, managing stress, um, their self-talk, whether or not they have effective or positive what kind of a teammate they are, their motivation, their self-confidence. And so self-scouting is a way to kind of self-assess and self-evaluate. Many times, many athletes, like this is a, that the whole idea of scouting their mental game is foreign mm -hmm. because it's a scary thing, right? Mm -hmm. And generally what I have found is um, the place that a lot of athletes want to go is, I got to train my body, I got to train my body, I got to train my body. But as we've seen across professional and college sports all over the place, um, you can be the most skilled athlete, but you can have stress completely mess up all your skills, make you tense or freeze up or, you know, basically choke. Right, right. Right. What, uh, what is your favorite card if you have one? Mm, that's a great question. You know, um, probably the one um, I like the most is actually the one write a letter to your inner athlete. Nice. Uh, I like that one because it it sets the tone, and it is one that um, you know. I, there's a lot of power in writing things down, mm -hmm. especially if you do it longhand, I feel like, instead of type it, yeah. right? But I feel like that card is a good way to get you started, get you, reflect, get you reflecting on what it is that you need to do to make yourself better. Nice. Are there any cards that you get a lot of pushback from, from your athletes or their coaches or parents or anything like that? Mm, you know, not really. I, I haven't, I mean, you know, uh, sometimes the self-talk thing is that the pushback that I get is, so what you're saying is, is that if I think positive, then good things will happen. And, I, you know, the kind of the way that I like to think about that is, um, you know, negative thinking works almost a hundred percent of the time. Positive thinking doesn't always work, but I don't know that there's a harm in it. And, and I also think, you know, in general, what I would say 
it, there's a scene in the movie 42 where there's a guy who's pitching to Jackie Robinson in the minors when Jackie Robinson first starts and um, he can't get him out and Jackie Robinson plays with him on the base pass. And you can just see him continue. Like I would say that that clip represents cognitive fusion. Like he's melting down. Right. And part of the reason that he's melting down is his belief system is that he's supposed to be superior. And so um, what I tell my athletes about self-talk and parents about self-talk is self-talk helps to rewire your brain and change your belief system about your operating system. So one of the things that I have them do is record their self-talk into their phone. I like that. Okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then the assignment is to listen to it over and over and over again, three times a day for at least five to 10 minutes, depending upon how long it is. Right. And, and then what I tell them is don't be surprised if sometime in the next month or two months, I ask you, you come into my office and I give you a sheet of paper and I say, write it all down for me. And you know, it becomes like what they report to me is when they do those exercises and they listen to it over and over again, it becomes something that they pick up. They catch themselves in a negative mind state, but basically, you know, the concept of neuroplasticity and Hebb's principle, neurons yep. that wire together, fire together. The more you listen to it, the more you shape your beliefs. Uh, I'm stunned that one. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's excellent. So yeah. it sounds like a great awareness tool and developing the witness. So then you can interdict and modify your thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so where can people find out about your work in general and also how will they go about finding your cards? Uh, they can go to center for sports in the mind.com. Okay. Uh, there's a store on that page and you can order them there. Um, we have a YouTube channel and it's just simply my name. Um, there's various videos of me presenting, um, at coaching clinics. Nice. And, um, we also have a video blog on our blog page. We just kind of started doing that during the pandemic, um, as a way to impact and reach our athletes who really didn't have like that needed a lifeline and needed more and more information and needed to fill their time. Cool. We'll make sure to include those in the show notes so people can uh, check out your site, check out the YouTube channel, and mm -hmm. hopefully go and purchase the uh, cards. Yeah. Thank you for your time today. Yeah. I enjoyed great, it. Great to talk to you. I'm glad we got introduced and uh, wish you yeah. much luck and success with your clients, man. Thanks. Have a great day. You too.